Hello, and welcome to the Calvary Road Baptist Church Podcast. I'm Pastor Paul Shirley, and I'd like to thank you for taking the time to listen. Each week, we will be releasing sermons and studies delivered directly from the pulpit at our church. Our goal with this podcast from Calvary Road Baptist Church is to make the gospel and sound biblical preaching more available to a wider audience. We hope that these sermons will be a blessing and an encouragement to you each week. As the scripture reads in Psalm 119 and verse 116, Uphold me according unto thy word, that I may live, and let me not be ashamed of my hope. Now, let's hear from God's word. It was a divine night, which is to say, it was a night appointed by a divine God. Amen. Brother Tim just mentioned how that there were so many things that had to happen just the right way for the birth of Christ to have happened the way that it was said it was going to happen. And all those things came to pass. I think that because we already know that, <clears throat> it seems like just, a, oh, well, yeah, I mean, everybody knows that, right? I mean, yeah, Jesus was born of a virgin. Think about that. If that was the only prophecy that had to be fulfilled for Jesus to have been born a miraculous birth, that would have been enough. Can you say amen to that? I mean, that within itself proves the involvement of a divine spiritual being. But there was so much more than that. You go and read the Gospels, you'll read the lineage of Mary, tied to him also the lineage of Joseph, his adopted father tied to who he was. You'll read about the time and the place and all those things, and it all happened exactly the way that it was supposed to happen. It was not a coincidence. It was a divine appointment where God was doing something that had never been done before and something that will never be done again, and that is what we are taking the time to observe this time of year, Amen. this time of Christmas. Last week, or two weeks ago now, uh, I made the statement that uh, there's a lot of debate about the timing of Christmas and whether Jesus was actually born in December and all that stuff, and I submit to you that at the end of the day, it really doesn't matter because we can't know the exact day of the year in which He was born. We can guess but we're not observing a date, we're observing an event. And that is the arrival of the Son of God. Amen? And it is good to know that I'm saved this morning. Amen. I hope that you're glad that you're saved, if you're saved. Let me tell you this morning, if you're not saved, Christmas uh, is something that you cannot properly celebrate. Amen. Uh, you can gather with family and friends, and you can observe the spirit of good cheer and giving and all those things. And all those things are good, let me just say. Uh, those are good things. The reason that we, uh, that we have a time of thankfulness around Christmas and the reason that we are good to others around Christmas and we try to spend time with people we love is because of Jesus. Without Jesus, there is no Christmas. Amen. I don't have a problem... Uh, I know some people do, and, and that's fine to each their own. I don't have a problem with the decorations and, and Santa Claus and all that stuff. None of that stuff ruffles my feathers. So long as we understand that Christmas is about Christ. Christmas is about the gift that God gave to us. And that gift is the one we just sang about. Amen. We sang, Miss Brandy singing, Oh Holy Night, 
when Christ was born. We're singing, Hark the herald angels sing, Glory to the newborn King. How that Christ came down, Joy to the world, the children sang. Why? The Lord is come. That's what Christmas is all about. And I love getting together with my family. I love sitting down. We sat down and watched, you know, the Santa Claus or whatever. And we watched the Grinch. My children have watched the Grinch 30 times. And I'm like, let's move on. All right, it's time for something different. The other night, Wednesday, we got home late from the hospital. It was after dark. And, and by the time we got settled in, I, <clears throat> church, um, y'all were having church here, and church was just wrapping up. It was around 8 o'clock. And uh, I said, I would like to watch It's a Wonderful Life. Have any of y'all seen It's a Wonderful Life? Who in here has not seen It's a Wonderful Life? Well, let me just tell you. It's a Wonderful Life is possibly the best Christmas movie there is. And we can go to bat over it if you like. I don't really care. But the reason is this. I'll tell you what. The older you get, the better that movie becomes. Because this life that we have is a gift from God. And that story, really, it's a, it's a spiritual story. Obviously, it's not doctrinal. I don't think that Clarence is exactly the way that angels are in reality. But what a great message to take a step back and say, man, in spite of the difficult things, God sure has been good to me. Amen? Amen. I'm not going to preach on it. It's a wonderful life. I don't even know why I'm telling you all this. But I will tell you this. In this time, it is easy to, to sit and look at all the, the difficulties. In fact, the movie It's a Wonderful Life is a little over two hours long. About an hour and 50 minutes of that is awful. Terrible stuff going on, isn't it? It's just one bad thing after another. It's about a man whose life is not what he wanted it to be. It's torn apart. But in the end, he finds something that he didn't realize was there all along, and that was joy and peace. Because God has been good to us. And if you say, well, I don't know if he has, you need to stop and you need to look with fresh eyes at the gifts that God has given you. Amen? In Luke chapter 2, we have the story, as Brother Joe already read some this morning, of the greatest gift that God has ever given to anyone, and he gave him to all of us. And that gift is the Lord Jesus Christ. That gift of Jesus is inarguably... No matter who you are, no matter where you're from, no matter what you might think, it is inarguably the greatest gift that has ever been given was that gift that was given that night in Bethlehem, wrapped in swaddling clothes, and laid there in a manger, as we're told there in Luke chapter 2 and verse number 7. But in verse number 8, we're going to start reading there tonight today, and we're going to pick up where we left off a couple weeks ago with this thought of the three-part gift of Christmas, we have again the account of those shepherds who were some distance away there in that same country, uh, abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. So they're working at night, watching their sheep. And lo, the Bible said in verse 9, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. And I say, thank the Lord for that last part. Amen. Thank the Lord that these good tidings of great joy were not just to the Jew, and not just to the privileged of the, of the day, and not to the wealthy, but to the wealthy and the poor. To the Jew and the Gentile, there was good tidings of great joy, which should be to all people, 
And that those good tidings were this, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly, after this one angel had made this declaration of good tidings to these shepherds, suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. We'll stop reading there for the sake of time today. These angels and these people, these individuals in what the Bible calls the heavenly host, make a declaration to those shepherds that it almost seems like they just become overwhelmed with the truth that what that first angel had just said. That there was born a Savior uh, in Bethlehem, born in a manger, wrapped in swaddling clothes, and the moment he let, he let those, that angel let those words leave his mouth, the heavenly hosts began to cry out and to declare, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. We talked a couple weeks back now about this, the first thing in that verse, verse number 14, that, that these, these individuals in the heavenly host, these angels and whoever may have been there on that day and in that moment that cried out before those shepherds, the first thing they spoke of was glory to God in the highest. And that if we look at this verse really, it describes the gift that God has given to us by giving us His Son. And we looked last week at, or, or last time about how that God had given us His glory in the gift of His Son Jesus Christ, that Jesus is the magnificent glory of God, that He is this great and shining, radiant beacon of glory, uh, that he, he is the express image of His Father, and that we thank God for that. He is the manifested glory of God, that God manifested Himself in a human being, and that When we look at Jesus, we see the glory of God represented there, and then He is the merciful glory of God. That He would, as we just heard in that third verse of Hark the Herald, how that He put on flesh to go and to save men. That's the manifested glory of God. That is God putting Himself inside of flesh and laying aside His his great big giant majestic glory to become the merciful glory for us. That second part of that verse, and I know last week Brother Tim preached from Isaiah chapter uh, 9, I believe it was on Sunday morning, verse number 6, about how those titles that are given to the Lord Jesus, and I'll reference that verse in a second, but it's called that Prince of Peace. And here in this verse, the second thing that is described as a part of the gift of Christmas is this, on earth, peace. 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 It's not surprising to find that their first declaration was that of glory because our God is a God of glory. Amen. And He deserves to be glorified. He deserves to be worshipped, doesn't He? He deserves to be praised and and lifted up. And I say, hallelujah, which means to God be praised. Amen. To God be glory. Thank God. I I mean, how could the first reaction not be, look at the glory of God. Look how great God is and how big God is, and how wonderful God is. The second part, though, the second exclamation, might have left someone wondering, well, what exactly does that mean? 
on earth, peace. Because the truth is, this was, first of all, a probably unexpected peace. Because I'll be honest with you, what the Jews, y'all know who was looking for the Christ to come? The Jews. The Gentiles, the Greeks, the Romans, they were not waiting for the Messiah. The Messiah is a Jewish word. It's a Jewish name. That holy, anointed one, Emmanuel, he is a He is the the coming King, the Son of God, the one who would come, the seed of David, the line of the tribe of Judah, would come and He would establish His kingdom, right? You read the Gospels, it's all about the kingdom. That's what they wanted. That's what they were looking for. You know what they expected at His coming? War. That's what they expected. They expected Him to come and to destroy their enemies to liberate them and set them free. So when the angel said, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, the sort of peace that Jesus was going to bring was probably an unexpected sort of peace for them. It's one they weren't looking for. It was a probably unexpected peace. Isaiah 9, 6, that verse that Brother Tim preached through the other day that we so often quote, and it is so heavily tied with this passage, right? For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. The Prince of Peace. They were not expecting a Prince of Peace, really. They were expecting a mighty King. They were expecting a soldier, a warrior, a liberator, a judge. That's who they were expecting, but instead they got the Prince of Peace. Now from their perspective, maybe they thought, well, yeah, well, well, He's going to come. He's going to wipe out our enemies. He's going to establish Israel on top of the world, and then there will be peace once we've destroyed everybody who is getting in the way of our peace. Well, that is one way to get peace, I guess. Right? I mean, let's be honest, we've never really seen times of proper peace, have we? I mean, we're, we're seeing war all the time, whether we're involved or not. There's always some war. Here's what he said, on earth, peace. The implication is that the earth itself would enter into peace. Now that's an interesting statement, isn't it? It's an interesting thought that on the earth, suddenly, coming with God... In this gift, there would become peace. But if you look at history, there's not really a great arrival of political peace, is there? It's not going to be long. The Roman Empire is going to flip and flop, and everybody, it's going to be war after war after war. The Jews are going to be persecuted some more. The Christians are going to be persecuted. I mean, in in terms of, uh, of military peace, there's really not. In fact, there's going to be a lot of children killed in this time frame trying to get Jesus. I mean, it's not a time of of physical peace. Not really. It is an unexpected sort of peace that Jesus is going to bring. It is not the peace between kingdoms. It is not the peace between uh, warring tribes. It is the peace that is a previously unknown peace. It is a probably unexpected peace Prince of Peace who's coming to them to bring to them not what they thought, which was 
Israel at the top, all the enemies of Israel defeated, the Roman Empire overthrown, and everything is great for the people of God. That's not what, that's not what happened. That's not what he came to do. Instead, like we've already talked about somewhat in the last mes- message, he, he came in a spirit of meekness, and in doing so, he came as the Prince of Peace. This previously unknown peace, we can read about. The book of Proverbs chapter 4 and verse number 6 says, Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. The peace of God. Now David talked about peace in the Psalms and and things like that, but there was an unknown peace that was coming. Something totally new. Something the world had never experienced. That Jesus in coming, He was going to make all things new, right? And one of those things was peace. The Stoic philosopher uh, Epictetus made this statement. He said, while the emperor may give peace from war on land and sea, he is unable to give peace from passion, grief, and envy. He cannot give peace of heart, for which man yearns more than even for outward peace. This man, Epictetus, was a contemporary of Luke. At the time which Luke wrote these words, Epictetus was looking around and saying, The emperor can give wartime peace, right? At that time, there was no one more powerful than the emperor on a throne. The emperor of Rome, Caesar, could look around and say, war's over, no more expanding of our empire, no more battles, put your swords up, the war's over and we're going to stop it, and he could give peace for a while. But there was a kind of peace that he absolutely could not give. In fact, there's a kind of peace that no man or woman on earth can give. And that is the peace of heart. The peace of mind. The peace that Paul described in Philippians chapter 4 as the peace of God which passeth all understanding. It is a previously unknown peace. Now, surely there was times in the Old Testament where you can read how that certain men of God and certain people of God experienced peacefulness and Experienced the help and peace of God. Like I said, David talked a lot about it. But things were going to be different after Jesus than they had ever been before. The way that things were before Jesus was that the Holy Spirit would come upon men and then He would leave them. Right? It it, it is probably best seen in a quick example uh, in the state of Samson. How that when he was living in that way and had the he was living the life of a Nazarite and he had never cut his hair and all those things, that the Spirit of God was on him. But then when his hair was cut and he had broken that vow, the Spirit of God left him. And then when he was there in the chains by the post there with uh, the Philistines, he prayed and the Spirit of God came back upon him. And then when he died, the Spirit of God left him again. That's the way it had been in the Old Testament. You can read different accounts of different people, how the Spirit of God came upon them and then off and then came upon them and then off. But after the death, burial, and resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ, things were going to change. He was going to bring a previously unknown peace, a peace like no one had ever seen and ever understood. Here's what he said in the book of John, chapter 14, verse 26. He said, The Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, 
whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I've said unto you. Verse 27, peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. The peace of Christ, the peace of God which passeth all understanding, only comes, as that verse says, through Christ Jesus. Jesus was going to bring a new peace like no one had ever known. It was a heavenly peace. That heavenly peace, as Romans 5, 1 says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. What does that mean? We rejoice in hope of the glory of God because by faith we have received the peace of God that one day we will be like Him. We will be with Him. And we will receive the precious glory of God. That that blessed hope, the Bible calls it. That one day we will be in heaven with God. That peace did not exist before Jesus Christ. What peace? That by faith in Him, I know that heaven will be my home. The Jews, they did not have that peace. Before the coming of Jesus Christ, they did not have that peace. You know what they had? Sacrifice. And sacrifice is not peace. Amen. The picture of the cross is not a picture of peace. It is a picture of Him abandoning all peace so that we might receive peace. Are you all with me this morning? Amen. His peace, He said, I'm going to bring you something and the Comforter is going to come. When I go up to God, He'll send the Comforter in my name and I'm going to leave with you. He said, I will leave with you peace. I'm going to give it unto you. My peace, not as the world giveth, but my peace. Don't let your heart be troubled. Don't fear. Why? Because the peace of God which passeth understanding comes through Christ. And that peace of God is a heavenly peace. There is nothing less peaceful than laying down your head at night and wondering, if I die in my sleep, will I go to heaven? Or will I lift up my eyes in eternal torment? Can we agree? There's nothing less peaceful than spending your life thinking, what happens if I have an accident? What happens if I come down with some sudden illness or an aneurysm or something and my, my heart just stops beating? What happens when my soul... If I die and this body just stops, what happens? Where will I go? I submit to you that without Christ, there is no peace. There is only fear, and there is only a troubled heart. I can remember what it was like to be a young boy. I got saved when I was eight years old. I have a, I have a very distinct memory. I don't know exactly how old I was, but the Lord had begun to deal with my heart, and I would begun to, to realize that I needed to be saved and to fear uh, death and, and, and what that meant for a sinner. And I remember I went to bed one night. My brother and I, we shared a twin bed in this little bitty room. We were young. I mean, I was probably seven or eight. And my brother would have been like four. So, you know, I wasn't always this big, okay? 
we could share that bed, not comfortably, but okay. And we slept in that bed together, and we were sleeping. And I remember I woke up in the middle of the night, and I had had a dream that the rapture had occurred. But it wasn't like it is in the Bible where it was a snap and everyone was gone, but I had begun to see my family and my friends float up toward the sky. And I, re- and I remember this, I'll never forget this dream. I remember grabbing a hold of the feet of my family, trying to hold on to them, and not being able to hold on, and watching as they went on to heaven, and I got left behind. I remember waking up terrified, thinking, I'm going to die, I'm going to go to hell. I mean, that was what was in my mind. I'm going to... Actually, you know what? I feared more than hell was the rapture. I feared I was going to get left behind and then it would be over for me. That was my fear. And by the way, that was not an irrational fear. The rapture is real. That could have happened tomorrow. And I, and I knew that in my mind and my heart and the Lord was dealing with me. And, and I remember, I mean, when I went to bed, I was stressed out that I was going to have another dream like that. You ever had a recurring nightmare? Some horrible dream and and maybe you've had it a couple nights in a row and you lay down. I've had stress nightmares and stress dreams and things to the point that laying down to go to sleep is a fearful thing. There is no peace to someone who does not have heavenly peace. Knowing that no matter what happens here, if I die, I'm entering into eternal peace. The other side of that, knowing if I lay my head down tonight and there's no tomorrow, I don't know where I'm going to be. That's the total opposite of peace. It's a heavenly peace. It's a heartfelt peace. This this previously unknown peace is heavenly. It's it's heartfelt. So what does that mean? It is a peace like that that quote from Epictetus that stated how the the emperor can't give that peace that is is a a peace from from passions, from fear, from distress. That The the emperor can't give that. So what's he saying? He's saying... That the emperor cannot give that peace of heart, he said, for which man yearns more than even for outward peace. You know how every celebrity or, you know, what is it, the uh, Miss America, they say, well, you know, well, I, I, if I had one wish, I'd wish for peace on earth. I'm sure you would. Right? I'd wish for all the hungry to be, to be found. All you know, they make those sort, of, those sort of blanket statements. But the truth is, someone who is tormented, someone who has fear, someone in those moments of stress... You would give anything for just some peace. The emperor can't give that. But the Son of God can. The emperor cannot give that kind of peace. But the God of heaven can give that kind of peace. It is a heartfelt peace. It is within. The Jews have a word for that peace. It is often translated into the English word peace throughout your Old Testament specifically. And that word is shalom. That shalom. It is a well-being it's a tranquility, a prosperity, a, it's security. Amen. And just like that heavenly peace is, is <clears throat> eternal security in knowing that if my faith is in Christ, I am safe. Amen. It is a security. It's a the blessing. It's a manifestation of divine grace that Christ lived out a during His days, He lived out His life tumultuously. His, those 33 years, those three years especially of His, of his, uh, his ministry where he, he said He had nowhere to lay His head. He had no rest. He bore the burdens of our sin in our lives and he, he committed all the work that God had laid out before Him so that we might have an inward, heartfelt peace that had previously never been experienced. Psalm 4.8 said, I, I will both lay me down in peace and sleep for Thou, Lord, only 
makest me dwell in safety. Who? The Lord. Isaiah 53 and verse 5 tells us Jesus, He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him. And with His stripes we are healed. That heartfelt inward shalom, that peace. You ever known someone going through, I mean, a scary trial, but it seems like they've got peace? Someone with cancer. Someone just <clears throat> struggling financially. It doesn't mean they don't worry about things. It doesn't mean they don't, they don't, they don't stress about things, but, but they seem to have peace about it. You ever heard them say that? Well, I don't know what's going to happen, but I've got peace about it. I know it's in the Lord's hands. The only way that someone can reach that state of mind is through Christ. Without Him, there is no one who can grant heartfelt peace. And when Jesus came and those angels and those heavenly hosts looked down and they cried out, on earth, peace. That's the kind of peace they were talking about. Not the peace between kings, the peace that dwells inside the heart of a true believer. It's a heartfelt peace. It's a humble peace. The gift of Christ has not only brought an inward and upward peace in that we are at peace upward, that we're going to reach heaven one day and we can be at peace in our hearts because we have Jesus Christ within us, but it becomes also an outward peace that, that happens because of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, humbling the heart of a Christian. Colossians chapter 3, and verse 12. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. And let, that word let, means allow. Allow, let the peace of God rule in your hearts. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts. To which also you're called in one body and be thankful. So what do you mean here? Well, here's what I mean. The peace of God gives us peace in knowing that we are saved. Amen? It's a heavenly peace. The peace of God can settle down into the heart of a Christian who even in a difficult time of life can have peace. They can lay down their head at night and they can, they can do those things because the peace of God dwells inside of them with that heartfelt peace. But the peace of God is not just from us up and it's not just inside of us, but the peace of God is supposed to go out from us. Right? We're supposed to let the peace of God rule in our hearts. And if we do, then here's what will happen. We will have charity. We will forbear and forgive, as the verse just said. We will love one another. We'll have bowels of mercies and kindness and humbleness. It is a humble peace. Amen. Jesus, living performing miracles, doing His ministry, this great gift of Christmas. Let me ask you a question. Does He ever defend, does He ever get angry and rise up and fight for Himself? For Himself? No. The only time we ever see the Lord really get angry, 
you want to call it that, and the Bible says you can be angry and sin not, was when he went into the temples and he flipped over the tables and ran them out. But what about when they were mocking him? Him. What about when they were uh, saying that he was a liar? When they were uh, threatening to kill him? What about when they told him that he was blaspheming God? I mean, they were saying things about him that just were not true. And at those times, let me ask you a question. Do we see him get angry and defend himself and blow up on them and you shut your mouth? No. Why? Because the peace of God is a humble peace. Jesus was peaceful because He allowed the peace of God to rule in even His own heart. That's right. Here He is, about to be taken. Here comes Peter with a sword, walking that dude's ear off. <laughs> I don't think Peter was letting the peace of God rule in his heart. What's Jesus do? The very men who are coming to chain him up and drag him off, he picks his ear up and heals it. He tells Peter to not do that. Why? Because he let the peace of God reign. We ought to let God's peace rule and reign in our hearts. What does that mean? Not getting angry over every little thing. Not, 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 not attacking everybody who does us wrong. Amen. That the peace of God, it is a previously unknown peace. It was brand new. And here's what Jesus said. I'm going to go. That's what chapter 14 of the book of John is all about. He said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. He said, I go to prepare a place for you. He said, I'm leaving. He said, but I'm leaving. I'm going to leave with you my peace. It's not like the peace of the world. It's a different kind of peace. That's what he said, isn't it? And that peace is the comforter. And if you've been saved, if you had been saved, you'd put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. You can have peace with God knowing that heaven will be your home. You can have peace in your heart that knowing no matter what happens that everything's going to be alright and you can trust God and you can have peace with others. And that is the peace that was previously unknown. That is only present in the heart of a Christian. One last thing will be done. We see a powerfully unlimited peace. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, Peace. Now we hear a whole lot about love, and for good reason. The Bible said charity is the greatest of the three, right? Love, joy, and peace. Charity, peace, joy, and the greatest of these is love. The greatest of these is charity. Charity is greater than joy and greater than peace in the eyes of God. We, we know that from the Bible because charity is the love of God. We hear a lot about love. We hear a lot about joy too, don't we? The joy of the Lord is our strength. And I say amen. If we're not worshiping God and we're not lifting Him up, and we have no joy in our hearts, well, we're just not taking advantage of what God's given us. Amen. Joy is important. It's big. But what about that third one? Peace. It is a fruit of the Spirit. And if we've been saved, we have access to an unlimited well of peace. But how do we get it? Because right now, I guarantee there's somebody sitting here, and you're saved. Let me make this statement before I move on with that. If you're sitting here and you're not saved, then it's no surprise that none of this makes sense to you. And let me just tell you, God wants to save you. I would not leave here without that knowledge. But if you're saved, I guarantee there's somebody sitting here thinking, man, I'm saved, I know I'm saved, but I just don't have any peace. 
Well, this tells us that that peace, I told you, here's what Jesus said. I've got the Comforter. He's in heaven. When I leave, the Father's going to send Him. He's the Holy Spirit. And and I'm going to leave with you my peace. Through who? Through the Comforter. I mean, he's literally the title of the Holy Spirit. In the book of John, chapter 14, is here. He is our Comforter. You know, you comfort someone who don't have peace. Someone who needs peace. You're comforting them. And we receive supernatural, powerfully unlimited peace. How? Through the Holy Spirit that Jesus has given to us. That by, by the coming, the birth, and then the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have been given peace through the Holy Spirit who has come to speak to us what the Lord Jesus tells Him. And what is that comfort and peace? How do we get that? The fruit of the Spirit is produced. It's not performed. The fruit of the Spirit of love is not, I love people. That's not the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is God is producing love in me and out from me. God is producing joy in me. He is making me more long-suffering and gentle. And the Holy Spirit is working in me. Y'all know that song, He's Still Working on Me to Make Me What I Ought to Be? That is the production of the fruit of the Spirit that happens inside of us. Being saved does not mean you will never worry. If it did, I'd be concerned about my salvation. It does not mean that you will never fear. Amen. It doesn't. I'll just be real. I've spent a lot of time worrying in the last seven or eight days. That morning when Parker was born and they brought her out, she did not look alive. She was not breathing. I began to fear. I began to worry. Her mama laying there, can't see, can't see the baby, got the big shield up where she's having the surgery. There's no crying. There's no yelling. There's no sound. We've had three kids, and it's the first time it's been like that. She was worried. And I wanted to lean down and say, she's good, everything's fine. But I couldn't, because I'm looking at a baby who's not moving and not breathing. And they're pumping her lungs and trying to get her to come to life, really. Can I submit to you that I feared? Can I submit to you that I worried? I mean, really, those are very poor descriptions of what I was feeling in that moment. It was more like panic. And you know what I began to do? I began to pray. God, please let that baby start breathing. Amen. That's my prayer. God, please do something. Because I can't. The doctors are doing what they can, but I know that if God don't do it, it ain't going to get done because it's God who gives life. Right? Here's my baby girl just born and she's not breathing. I can't do anything. I did not feel an overwhelming sense of, of peace in that moment. I felt fear. And I felt distressed. So you know what I did? I prayed. And the longer I prayed and I watched and I saw God answer that prayer. Amen. But what about when God doesn't answer the prayer? Have you ever prayed something and asked God, God, will you do this? And then the answer was no. Here's the truth. Sometimes that's the way that things go. God was merciful. We have a healthy little girl back there. 
But there's been a lot of parents whose story went the other direction. It's not because I'm somehow blessed and they're not, and man, God, no. It's, it just is. So what about that peace? What about that? How is it? What does it mean for them? Peace is not just happen on its own. Peace is a fruit of the Spirit. It is not a foregone conclusion that if you've been saved, you will always have peace. Are you all hearing me? Jesus came to give us this peace, but to have it, we must produce it. Or rather, it must be produced in us by the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't have time to go through and show you everything about it. I want to just quickly mention some things here. But in the book of Galatians chapter 5 and verse number 22 and down through the rest of that chapter, here's what the Bible will tell you. To produce the fruit in the Spirit of the Spirit, you must walk in the Spirit. Let me say that again. To produce the fruit of the Spirit, you must walk in the Spirit. How does one walk in the Spirit? We walk in the Spirit by walking in the will of God. Now, I could show you through the Bible. I'm not going to for the sake of time. Uh, I'll just kind of tell you what it says and move on. But essentially, we walk in the Spirit by walking with God, right? That's what it means. To walk in the Spirit is to walk with God. And how do we do that? By meditating on His Word. If you've not picked up your Bible and read it outside of a Sunday morning service when the preacher is reading his text in a year, there is no wonder you have no peace. The only way you will get peace is by walking in the Spirit. If you do not have a prayer life, that verse we read about the peace that passeth understanding in Philippians chapter 4, when I read it, I read verse number 6 with it. Because verse number 6 says this, Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving let your requests be made known unto God, and the peace of God which passeth understanding shall keep your hearts and minds. How? We get the peace that passeth understanding... Not because what we're saved, so we've got it, but through prayer. Amen. Are you praying faithfully? Not, uh oh, something happened, time to go pray for the first time in a year, right? But I'm walking in the Spirit. God has given us a great gift, and that gift is peace. And can I tell you sometimes, just because God is good, even when we're not exactly where we ought to be or doing exactly what we need to be, God will reach down and comfort us because He loves us. Have you ever experienced that? I remember when I was 16, we were having a car accident. I fell asleep driving. Had my license for a month. Fell asleep driving. We are flipping through the air. We flipped a Chevy Blazer, I think they said it counted like eight times, impacted the ground down a hill. I mean, it, that's not how you want to start out. Okay? Those, I don't know, four seconds probably, felt like they lasted for an hour. You ever been in that moment where that adrenaline hits you and it's like, <gasps> I remember going through a gamut of, of, of emotions, even as a young boy like that, 16. I remember in my mind and in my heart thinking, I'm going to die. I remember yelling out, why is this happening? Just this confusion. And all that moment, I remember God in that moment of me thinking, I'm going to die, saying, I know where I'm going. I mean, quicker, and it had to have been quick. I remember that moment. I'm thinking, I'm about, I'm about to pass from life unto death right here. In that moment, realizing, if I do, I know where I'm going. 
Sometimes God will dip down and give us a peace that cannot be explained. But that peace that passeth understanding where someone can be going through a dark time in life and a trial and suffering and wondering and, and grief and sorrow and have peace, that peace, it comes by walking in the Spirit. Well, I'm a Christian. I've all been saved. And I, I know, but, but I just don't have that kind of peace, Brother Paul. Well, how's your prayer? How's your time spent with God? How is your reading of the Bible? How is your attendance to church and, and being around God's people? Are you walking the way that God has outlined for us to walk in the Bible? Because if you're not, well, then it's no wonder that you're not producing the fruit of the Spirit of peace in your life because you're not allowing God to work it through you. Can y'all see that? Are we in the Bible here? Here's the truth about powerfully unlimited peace, and I'm done. It's powerfully unlimited in its availability. Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come unto me, all ye that labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And that rest only comes with peace. It's a peaceful rest. How? Coming to Him. Don't go to the world for peace. Don't go to the bottle. Don't go to the pills. Don't go to, the, to this one or that one. Don't seek peace in, in relationships and peace in, because Jesus said, I'm going to give you the kind of peace that the world can't give. Come to Him for peace. It is powerfully unlimited in its availability. It is powerfully unlimited in its overcomability. That it can overcome fear and sorrow and pain like Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7 uh, in verse 8, how we are troubled on every side, but not distressed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. We're persecuted, but not forsaken. We're cast down, but not destroyed. How can we be suffering all these things and yet not be overcome and defeated? Because the peace of God passes understanding. It is powerfully unlimited in its ability to overcome. That's how in 1 Corinthians 15, we see how that death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting, O grave? Where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin. The strength of the sin is the law. But thanks be to God which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. How? How is that peace powerfully unlimited in knowing that we can overcome all these things, even death? Death can't beat us. That peace comes through walking in the Spirit. So it's... <clears throat> Powerfully unlimited in its availability and its overcomability. It's powerfully unlimited in its reconcilability. That is, that it can bring us to God. That song we sang, that third verse of Hark the Herald Angels Sing, I'm going to tell you what, that was something special. Because when it all comes right down to it, that's the whole reason that He came. This morning, if you're saved, you have no peace. You need to get right with God. Amen. You need to ask God to help you. I don't know what you're going through. I don't. I don't know the sorrow, the suffering, the pain, the grief that, that, that inflicts every heart in here. I don't know those things. But I know this, that if you will just hold on and walk with God, there is a time of peace ahead for you. We were talking this morning, Brother Tim was talking about a, a book he read, and me and him, Brother Dennis, are talking about this guy. And it is back way before a lot of the modern technology, these guys riding horseback, circuit riding preachers, going from place to place, 
sleeping out in the wilderness and the cold and the weather, going to preach it, and the, the joy that they had in the book was all about prayer. Got him to Ian Bounds. I mean, prayer, prayer, prayer. Well, it's no wonder he had peace. Because that told us the peace was path and understanding. It comes from prayer, specifically. Amen. They walk with God. That even in, in difficult, people dying, and you know, you get sick, and that could be it. The flu could take out a whole family back then. And now we, we, we've just got all the comforts of life, and so we, we just slide by on our own, our own strength, and we don't rely on the strength of God. We slide by on our own morality, and we don't rely and walk on the goodness of God. And then we wonder why we've got no peace. Because we're our own strength. I am my strength. I am my joy. I am my peace. Well, then you've got no strength, no joy, no peace. Because all it takes is one bad fall. Amen? This morning, we got at the parsonage, and Brooke's not supposed to be going up and down stairs. Y'all pray for her. It's a struggle to just stay off the stairs. Amen? So she's downstairs, and I'm up there. I'm going to get something out of the over claws up there, I'm doing something, I, I take off up there, I get to the step at the bottom of the steps, and my foot, my shoe slips on the corner of the step. And I didn't hurt myself, but I thought, man, it'd be just like me, amen, y'all can say amen, to break my foot going up these steps, the first Sunday we get to be back finally after being in the hospital over and over again the last two weeks or whatever, it'd be just like me to break my foot or fall and break my leg or, or something right here, and then, and, and then she can't go up the stairs, she can't pack a baby, what am I going to do with a broken leg? Amen? That's what I'm thinking in that moment. I'm about to, because all it takes is one slip up and all my strength, peace, and joy, it's just no good. The only strength, love, joy, and peace that can go with us and go through anything, go through the distress and the trouble and the perplexity is the joy, the peace, which comes only from Jesus Christ. It is unlimited in its ability to reconcile us to God. If you're saved this morning, you don't have that peace, are you walking in the Spirit, reading and praying? Say, it can't be that easy. Give it a shot. It's like diet and exercise. But let me say this as we close. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 13 says this, Now in Christ Jesus, ye who were sometimes, you who sometimes were far off, are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For He is our peace, who hath made both one, and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. If you're here this morning and you have not been saved, Jesus went all the way to the cross for that. To break down the middle wall partition between us and God. Because here's the truth. Our sin had separated us from our God. And at the time when Jesus was born, there was no true vision. There was no prophet. There was no way for a man to reach God truly outside of Jerusalem and a, and a sacrifice and Israel had become so corrupt. Here comes Jesus. Why has He come? He's come to break down the wall between us and God. That peace that is so unlimited is unlimited in this. 
Brother Randy, that it can reach down and grab someone like me and like you and pull us all the way up to God. That peace that, that God, Brother Travis, can reach down somebody like me and like you. We mix up and we mess up and we, amen, say something we ought not, do something we ought not, and God can reach down in the middle of our sin, pick us up. There's no wall between us anymore. He can get to us and we can get to Him. And now, where there was broken fellowship, where there was heartbreak and hurt and sin, now we can be brought together. Why? Because He is our peace who hath made both one. He made us one in God and God one in us and hath broken down the middle wall of partition. Jesus did that for this, that the peace of God might reign in our hearts. Let's all stand. Thank you again for listening to the Calvary Road Baptist Church podcast. If you would like to learn more about our church in Shepherdsville, Kentucky, you can find the link to our website in the show notes to www.calvaryroadbaptistchurch.com. We're so thankful that you've taken the time to listen to today's sermon, and we hope that the Lord will use it to edify you in the faith. If you'd like to help spread the word about this podcast, you can do so by leaving us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts or by telling a friend. Thank you again, and have a blessed day in the Lord. Thank you.